It's 6 p.m. and you are tuned to your community radio station, KVMR-FM Nevada City, KCPC Camino. Today is Monday, August 23rd, 2021. I'm Kelly Reese and it's time for the KVMR Evening News. First up, the California Report speaks to Jennifer Urban, the chair of the state's new Privacy Protection Agency. Then, in national native news, a move in Congress would withhold federal housing funds for tribes that do not give freedmen tribal citizenship. We'll take a brief look at regional headlines and weather before Sierra Gold Park Foundation board member Sid Brown takes us for a walk in the park to close out our newscast. This is the California Report. I'm Saul Gonzalez in Los Angeles. The Caldor fire burning in El Dorado County has grown to more than 104,000 acres after spreading to the north side of Highway 50 over the weekend. That highway, which was closed, is the main link between Sacramento and the Lake Tahoe area. Here's Cal Fire Battalion Chief Dusty Martin. I do not expect to have Highway 50 opened uh, in the near future until we can mitigate the threats um, as the fire comes through, we've got uh, trees and we've got damage to the roadway surfaces. And so we need to make sure that that's all safe and that fire isn't going to impinge the highway as uh, as we got traffic flowing through there. On Saturday, a spot fire broke out in the mountain community of Kybers, north of Highway 50, although it's been held to about 200 acres. The Caldor fire has destroyed 345 homes and more than 24,000 people in El Dorado County remain under a mandatory evacuation order at this time. Let's turn to politics. State regulators have confirmed they've launched an investigation into recall election gubernatorial candidate Larry Elder. The reason? Reports that Elder, a Republican and prominent conservative radio talk show host, did not fully disclose all of his sources of personal income. Earlier this month, the Los Angeles Times reported that Elder failed to disclose his ownership of the business Lawrence A. Elder and Associates. After the Times story, the California Democratic Party filed a complaint with the state's Fair Political Practices Commission. Candidates' financial disclosures are supposed to help the public determine whether a candidate might have a conflict of interest involving decisions he or she might make while in office. The Elder campaign says the incomplete disclosure was a mistake and that it's been corrected. Elder is currently considered the leading candidate seeking to replace Governor Gavin Newsom through the recall. Let's turn to privacy and what's being done to protect yours. In 2018, state lawmakers passed the California Consumer Privacy Act. It's supposed to give Californians more knowledge and control over what companies do with their personal data. Then last year, California voters passed a proposition creating the California Privacy Protection Agency. It has the mission of defending people's privacy rights. The Privacy Protection Agency is just starting to get up and running. In fact, it doesn't even have office space yet. But in her first interview, the California Report did talk to the agency's chair, Jennifer Urban. She's a law professor at UC Berkeley and privacy expert. We began our conversation talking about why a state privacy protection agency is needed. If you give people in a free market notice of what's going to happen, then they can make a choice. But we all know that didn't really work. We all know that um, if you try to read a privacy policy from 2010, certainly often they would be impenetrable. You couldn't really figure out what was happening with your data and there wasn't any chance to make a choice. So one of the most important things of the new laws is that it actually gives consumers the choice. It actually requires 
that businesses be clear about what they're doing and gives consumers a choice to opt out. Let's get practical. Let's say I'm a Californian right now, and I want to know what company X is doing with my data. And maybe I want to go beyond that and have company X start purging my personal data. Do I go to the company with that demand? Do I go to your new agency? Or do I go to the state attorney general's office, which I know is supposed to be doing most of the initial data privacy enforcement work? Great question. What you do right now is you go to the company. There should be a straightforward mechanism by which you can make these requests and they should respond. If you don't get a good response from the company or no response, then you go for the moment to the attorney general. The attorney general on their website has a tool that will walk you through um, how to send a complaint to the company. And you can also complain to the attorney general. And then they will take it from there as part of their enforcement work. And take it from there means what exactly? What's going to tangibly happen? Well, right now, the the attorney general um, will send a letter. They've been sending letters to companies and telling them you're not in compliance. Um, they've said that most 75% have just come into compliance and done what they're supposed to do under the law. Um, over time, they have other options. Um, they could take the companies to court um, if they continue not to comply with the law. Once we have the new agency doing the administrative enforcement, um, we will be able to issue fines. Um, So we'll be able to fine companies if they are out of compliance, up to $7,500 per per violation. So if a company is violating the rights of, you know, 100 or 1,000 consumers, that quickly adds up. You know, when it comes to data privacy, your agency is charged with policing some of the most powerful and richest companies on the planet. Can Californians have confidence that you'll have the people in place and the resources to actually do the job? Yes. The agency has a lot of tools at its disposal that will allow it to work on behalf of consumers and protect them. Um, One is the fines that we just talked about and the injunctive relief. Uh, Another is the fact that although the agency's budget is not particularly large um, compared to the budget of some of the companies we might be regulating, um, we do have a steady $10 million a year that is allocated to us by the proposition. um, And that is sufficient money to be able to have a strong investigative and enforcement team. Um, So it's not something that we have to depend on the legislature appropriating every year. Um, But at the moment, already, we have more resources than any other privacy enforcer has had in the United States. We're the first first agency dedicated to privacy. And we do have, I think, the resources to get started and protect people's privacy. All right. That is Jennifer Urban, chair of California's new Privacy Protection Agency. Thank you so much for joining us on the California Report. Thank you. Support for the California Report comes from SF MoMA, presenting the exclusive U.S. exhibition of Nam June Beck, a visionary global artist who bridged art, music, performance, and technology. Learn more at sfmoma.org. California Healthcare Foundation, ensuring the voices of Californians are heard in California's decisions about healthcare on the web at chcf.org voices. And Eric and Wendy Schmidt, whose philanthropy harnesses the power of people and science to create innovative solutions for a healthy environment, just societies, 
and opportunities for human achievement. And that's this edition of the California Report for Monday, August 23rd. We're a production of KQED Public Radio. I'm Saul Gonzalez. Thanks so much for listening and have a great day. Today's National Native News addresses politics, public health, and comic books? After updates on COVID-19 amongst Indigenous communities and freedmen tribal citizenship, we take a look at a new Alaskan tribal adventure comic book, Chickaloonies. The comic follows two Alaskan Native kids who set out to become the greatest storytellers the world has ever known. This is National Native News. I'm Megan Kamrick and for Antonia Gonzalez. A move in Congress would withhold federal housing funds from tribes that do not give freedmen tribal citizenship. Voice of America reported at stake is tens of millions of dollars for housing under the Native American Housing Assistance and Self-Determination Act, which is slated to be reauthorized this year. Freedmen are descendants of African-American slaves who accompanied their Native American owners along the Trail of Tears in the early 1800s to what is now Oklahoma. The Cherokee, Chickasaw, Choctaw, Muscogee Creek, and Seminole nations are in line to get more than $62 million from the U.S. Department of Housing and Urban Development. But Democratic Representative Maxine Waters drafted a bill that would prohibit the federal government from granting funds to any tribe that does not give freedmen citizenship in accordance with 19th century treaties. VOA reports the Cherokee, Choctaw, and Muscogee Creek nations did grant citizenship in the late 19th century, but have since rewritten their constitutions to limit citizenship to Indians, quote, by blood. That disenrolled thousands of freedmen descendants. The Seminole and Chickasaw nations also granted citizenship, but denied freedmen most rights and benefits of other tribe members. The U.S. District Court ruled in 2017 that freedmen should enjoy all rights of membership. The Cherokee Supreme Court ruled earlier this year to remove the phrase by blood from the nation's constitution. A new study is reinforcing fears that COVID-19 death rates among indigenous communities are even higher than previously estimated. USA Today reports the study in the American Journal of Public Health finds that many states are inconsistent about reporting tribal data in death records or don't report it at all. The study found that while there is a national standard for death certificates recommending that funeral directors collect tribal information, states are not required to follow that standard. The study used 2017 and 2018 death certificates certificate data. One of the report authors, Desi Small-Rodriguez, who is Northern Cheyenne and Chicana, told USA Today she and her co-author found that five states allowed reporting more than one tribal affiliation, but not official enrollment status. Only two states collected residency data for reservations or tribal homelands. Nine states didn't collect any tribal data. And in Alaska, Native comic artist will release a book heavily influenced by stories passed down to him by his grandmother. KNBA's Trip Krauss talks to the creators of Chick Alunis about why representation in comics is so important. Growing up in Alaska, Demi Maharis loved drawing and illustrating and comic books. Maharis is Atna and a citizen of the Chickaloo Native Village and was born in Anchorage and grew up around the Matsu. As a kid, he says he was obsessed with animals taking on human characteristics. And I found a connection there uh, with the with the traditional stories that Grandma passed down because she would explain that, you know, the animals and humans could talk and that they'd have human characteristics. Eventually, Maharis moved to Seattle to pursue his dream of illustrating, where he met Casey Silver and formed their comic book studio, 80% Studios. And Chick Looney's is like, that's, that's what this is, is kind of evolving that that storytelling legacy. Chickalonis follows the journey of two Alaska Native characters living in perpetual darkness. They leave their village for the first time on a quest to become the greatest storytellers ever. 
Meharry says that representation was an important and central focus of the project. Alaskan Native kids are underrepresented in pop culture and comic books. I'm looking forward to be able to give something back to the place I grew up, to my culture. And my hope is that it shows this culture is alive and is thriving. And it can make really interesting modern stories and modern art. In Anchorage, I'm Trip Kraus. And for National Native News, I'm Megan Kamrick. National Native News is produced by Kiwanak Broadcast Corporation with funding by the Corporation for Public Broadcasting. This reminder to get your COVID-19 vaccination is provided by the Association of American Indian Physicians and the Centers for Disease Control and Prevention who support this show. Info at aaip.org or cdc.gov slash coronavirus. Support by the Sanoski Chambers Law Firm, championing tribal sovereignty and defending Native American rights since 1976 with offices in Washington, D.C., New Mexico, California, and Alaska. Native Voice One, the Native American Radio Network. In regional news, last Saturday, August 21st, the Nevada Joint Union High School District issued a statement of a school site community outbreak of COVID-19 cases at Nevada Union High School. To aid the district in maintaining school operation, the California Department of Public Health Outbreak Response Team was called upon. The district said in an effort to keep school doors open, avoid mass quarantines, and mitigate the potential spread of the highly contagious Delta variant, rapid testing was made available to all district students and staff. Testing or proof of COVID-19 vaccination was being required prior to today's start of school. In response, around 30 protesters entered the Nevada Union High School campus earlier today. They made their way towards the testing site, holding posters and U.S. flags. Sheriffs and the Nevada Joint Union High School District Superintendent, Brett McFadden, dispersed the protesters away from students and the testing site and back to the front of the school. This reported by the Union of Grass Valley. Nevada City Manager Joan Phillip, acting in her capacity as Director of Civil Defense and Disaster for the city, has issued a declaration of public emergency due to extreme fire danger, reports Ubinet. Because there is a high risk of fire occurring or spreading in or near the city, the declaration bans open fires in the city limits until the termination of the local emergency. Fires and devices designed for outdoor warming, such as patio fireplaces, chimneys, portable fire pits, stoves, or other portable burning devices used for outdoor recreation and or heating are also prohibited in the city limits under the declaration. No permits or permission will be granted approving recreational, ceremonial, or special event fires. These prohibitions are mandatory. The Nevada City Council will review and ratify the proclamation at its August 25th Council meeting. If it is ratified, it will remain in effect until the Council proclaims the termination of the local emergency. Working to bolster California's emergency response to multiple wildfires and support impacted communities, Governor Gavin Newsom today requested a presidential major disaster declaration to assist state and local wildfire response and recovery efforts in Lassen, Nevada, Placer, Plumas, Shasta, Siskiyou, Tehama, and Trinity counties. Quote, 
We are deploying every available tool we have to keep communities safe as California battles these catastrophic wildfires driven by climate change impacts, end quote, said Governor Gavin Newsom. This federal request is specific to the Dixie, Antelope, McFarland, Monument, and River fires. A subsequent request may be made for the Caldor fire as well. If approved, a presidential major disaster declaration will help people in the impacted counties through eligibility for programs and support that can include housing assistance, food aid, counseling, medical services, and legal services. Currently, there are 12 major fires burning across the state, causing extensive damage to residences and infrastructure. As of August 22, 13,712 personnel and 1,031 engines are at work on the front lines of wildfires statewide. This from Ubinet. The Sacramento Bee reports that personal information from Chico State students who requested a religious exemption from the COVID vaccine has been posted online after an apparent data breach. The requests from about 130 students were dumped on an anonymous internet message board, documenting approved and denied requests from CSU Chico students between June 7th and August 10th. Student names and phone numbers were included in many of the entries. The original post on the message board provided tips on how to file a religious exemption to a COVID-19 vaccine mandate. And now for regional weather and your air quality index. For those in Grass Valley and Nevada City, tonight, widespread haze, then mostly clear with a low around 58. Tomorrow, widespread haze in the morning, becoming sunny with a high near 87. Current air quality is unhealthy with an AQI of 175. Tomorrow's air quality is unhealthy for sensitive groups with a potential AQI of 128. In Truckee and Lake Tahoe, tonight, widespread haze and smoke with a low around 41. Tomorrow, the widespread haze and smoke continues with a high near 74. Current air quality is hazardous with an AQI of 328. Tomorrow's air quality is unhealthy with a potential AQI of 179. The National Weather Service has issued a special weather statement as smoke continues in this region for much of the week. Susanville, Lake Tahoe, Truckee, Reno, and Carson City are likely to see the greatest smoke impacts with potential for hazardous levels. And for those to the south in Sacramento and Woodland, tonight, widespread haze after midnight with a low around 57. Tomorrow, widespread haze before noon, then sunny with a high near 92. Current air quality is moderate with an AQI of 90. Tomorrow, moderate as well with a potential AQI of 100. Next, we take our bi-weekly walk in the park with Sid Brown. Sid reminds us of the important role we all play in protecting our state parks. Well, fires are still dominating the headlines and our hearts and minds as we look at the skies that used to be blue. And here's hoping that conditions will improve in the future days and weeks ahead. California State Parks Sierra District just this week came out with a effective immediately wood and charcoal fire ban through a superintendent order. And this is actually not that different for our Nevada County state parks. I think that has been in effect already for Empire Mine State Historic Park, South Yuba, 
River State Park in Malakoff Diggins State Historic Park, but the band now has expanded to include all of the Sierra District Parks, Grover Hot Springs, Mono Lake, Burton Creek, D.L. Bliss, Ed Zeberg, Sugar Pine Point State Park, Emerald Bay, Donner Memorial State Park, Plumas Eureka State Park, Tahoe State Recreation Area, Washoe Meadows State Historic Park, and again, the three state parks in western Nevada County. That means, you know, no wood, no charcoal, no barbecues, even in the campgrounds. California's raging with forest fires right now, and staff both for state parks and the federal partners in CAL FIRE are sorely tested right now as they continue to fight fires that are blazing all around us. So that brings me to another news announcement. You've probably heard this already by the time you hear this on the radio, but the National Forest Service in California has just issued a temporary closure for nine Northern California national forests, and that includes the Tahoe National Forest. This temporary closure right now is only in effect from August 22nd, 2021, through September 6th, 2021. And let's hope that is the end of that closure. But at this time, all the Forest Service employees need to have all their attention to fighting those fires that are active. And when we have the public come into those areas, it just makes the the hazard and the risk all the higher. So please, for this short period of time, maybe confine your walking and hiking activities to the more urban areas, the more developed areas, and not the national forests because we're not allowed to do that. I will tell you that at Empire Mines, South Yuba River, and Malakoff Diggins State Historic Park, there are still are beautiful trails that are open for the public's use and enjoyment. Of course, at South Yuba River State Park, the Independence Trail Western Loop is still closed due to the um, Jones Fire last year. There is a recent article in the Union about the activities and hopes and plans to coordinate with the multiple ownerships in that Independence Trail area with the Bear Yuba Land Trust and California State Parks. So we hope to get that trail reconstructed and open to the public, but it won't be for a year, I'm sure, at least. Let's see. There are some good news things happening with California State Parks locally. I am pleased to announce that at Empire Mine State Historic Park, we are planning to host the Miner's Picnic event. Um, It's actually a state park event, and the Sierra Gold Parks Foundation will help support that effort. This year, it's going to be a very pared-down event, but this event is a time when the public is invited to come to the park. It will be Saturday, August 28th from 11 till 4 p.m., and this time you are allowed to bring food into the park and have your own family picnic on the beautiful lawns and the historic area um, in front of the cottages. The buildings will still be closed, but we will have volunteers in period attire. There will be some food available at the picnic, but we encourage you to bring your own food and picnic supplies, and please uh, with a mind to keep your your trash to a minimum. 
at Empire Mind is all our parks, we ask you to try to leave no trace and to appreciate the beauty of these areas that are around us. Right now, that's the only event that I can announce beyond the normal activities. We are having uh, daily town tours at Malakoff in the town of North Bloomfield in the middle of the day, led by park staff and volunteers. Let's see. And we are preparing to welcome back our school students as they study and learn about California history. So each of the state parks have programs where classes will come and uh, state park staff and volunteers will um, help explain and and provide information about the, the parkland. So our outdoor classroom programs are being prepared, and we're scheduling them um, at all three parks. Thank you very much. We'll talk to you next time. That's our newscast for tonight. You can listen to an extended version of A Walk in the Park on our webpage, kvmr.org, or wherever you get your podcasts. Sid Brown sits on the board of the Sierra Gold Park Foundation and joins us every other week with news and updates from Nevada County's three state parks. Learn more at sierragoldparksfoundation.org. Thanks for joining us. KVMR gets support from Milkman Toner Company, providing local hometown service for network printers, copiers, and scanners, carrying environmentally safe, remanufactured toner cartridges with printer support. Serving Northern California counties, also San Francisco to Lake Tahoe. MilkmanCompany.com Stick around. At 6.30, it's the Women's International News Gathering Service, WINGS. Tonight's episode is adapted from the documentary film entitled When Abortion Was Illegal, Untold Stories. Hear several first-person narratives of individuals who had an abortion before the 1973 Roe v. Wade Supreme Court case affirmed that access to safe and legal abortion is a constitutional right. Then at 7, we have Democracy Now! with host Amy Goodman. Thanks for listening. I'm Kelly Reese, signing off.